Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Alicia Walker. Hello. Josh Dean. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello there. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And every week here, we discuss a movie, and then one of the podcasters suggests the next movie for us to discuss. All the movies are available from the major streaming services, so you can participate with us. This week's movie to discuss is Clute, K-L-U-T-E, from 1971. It was Alicia's suggestion, uh, but first we're going to be talking about what we've been watching lately. Um, apart from rewatching Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst, which is one of my favorite uh, web series of all time, uh, I've seen a couple of things. Um I've watched the first half of Narcos Mexico season two, um, which is really confusing because there's a show called Narcos on Mexico, or sorry, there's a show called Narcos on Netflix, and there's a separate show called Narcos Mexico, and they're kind of about the same thing, but not. Um, Narcos is about uh, the Colombian drug cartel, mainly Pablo Escobar, um, for the first two seasons, all based on real events. And then Narcos Mexico is, um, sort of the Colombian drug trade in Mexico. Uh, in season two, they're starting to, uh, get into crack that, that just became a thing in the timeline of, uh, of the show that I'm watching. And, uh, I found that the, the regular Narcos show is really, really good and really interesting all the way through. Narcos Mexico has, like, great episodes and boring-as-hell episodes. And it just sort of alternates in between the two. Um, they have, like, a whole episode of exposition, and then they have a whole episode of action and fallout. But I feel like now that I'm halfway through the season that it should be... We should be good for the rest of season two of Narcos Mexico. Uh, I watched a documentary on HBO called Class Action Park, which is about a ridiculously dangerous amusement park in New Jersey called (laughs) Action Park. Uh, Yeah. And all of the insanity that went on there. Um as an example, one of the things that happened was the guy that ran it uh, couldn't get insured because of how dangerous all of their rides were. So he set up a shell corporation somewhere in the like Canary Islands or something, and that was the insurance company. So he was basically insuring himself through a, sh- a shell corporation, which is... Uh, at least a hundred percent illegal, if not more. Uh, that depends on who you talk to. I think you ask the president, and he'll tell you otherwise. <laughs> we watched that too, and I, I gotta say, like the first ten minutes, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to get through the movie because I'm I'm kind of one of those people that can't get through like one of those uh, fail videos, like all those like when they string a bunch of fail oh, people, problems people online, and people are just splat splatting myself. Yeah. I just I, I start cringing to the point where I just don't want to watch it, and I was afraid that that's what the movie was going to be like. Luckily, the most cringeworthy parts were actually I felt in the very beginning, like they were trying to set you up. But yeah, it was good when they were doing like the 
the animation showing what that loop did to people that like yeah. water slide with the loop at the end it was like yeah. the teeth the teeth yeah. <laughs> like the first couple <laughs> of people that came through had like bruises and then they they adjusted it a little bit and then the people that came through next had all these weird lacerations and they're like it's a big tube what are people getting cut on and they opened it up and found that the first set of people that went through left teeth embedded in parts of the ride that were cutting into people as they went through it. So, yeah, it's awful. Ugh. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the other thing that I watched, uh, we've been doing every other week, we've been uh, live streaming one of our Cinemasochist shows. And I had this idea that in the off weeks, that we might do sort of a, a foundational series where we show comedies and things that uh, inform a lot of the riffs and the jokes that we do. And one of the jokes that I write into my scripts all the time is, ain't nobody leave this place without singing the blues, which is from Adventures in Babysitting. And I realized that I hadn't seen that since it came out when I was 10. God. So I watched it again and I was like, Oh, that's the funny part of that movie. The rest of that movie's not so great. Uh, it's okay, and it's entertaining enough for a ten-year-old. But uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not a it's not the classic that I remember it being. It's no uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off or Pee Wee's Big Adventure. It's it's a lesser a lesser eighties. A lesser '80s movie. Elizabeth Shue well, is still hot. It's interesting you say but. that. Yeah, I I really remember that movie fondly when I was probably an early teen, a preteen, and yeah, I haven't seen it since either. But I remember watching it all the time, like it was on Cinemax all the time or something, and I would always catch it. Yeah. So that's disappointing that it hasn't aged very well. Yeah, I don't know if it's even so much that it hasn't aged well as that we, we were aged. the target audience for it <laughs> uh-huh. at that age. And so right. watching it in my 40s is like, you know, whatever. Like, Did your kids watch it with you? No. No, I uh, I, I watched it late by myself. I, it, it was like I was going to watch it in preparation of like streaming it and maybe showing it to some people and saying like, you know, this is a classic that I borrow jokes from all the time and, and pull things from all the time. <laughs> And I remember uh, that uh, it was one of the, it's one of the only, like the rules have changed uh, in the last like 10 years or so, but it used to be that PG-13, you had one F word and Adventures in Babysitting has two right in a row. And it's the, the, the gangs on the train are about to fight and the gang member says to Elizabeth Shue, like, you know, don't fuck with the Lords of Hell. And she says, don't fuck with the babysitter. Yep. So, classic line. <laughs> Remember that. Like one of those. But my parents let us watch Planes, Trains, and Automobiles when I was about the same age, and that's R rated. And, you know, God, I love that movie. Yeah. Much better movie. So, <laughs> um, that was it for me for watching stuff. How about you guys? I'll uh I'll jump on the train. Um since we're all getting into a rumble. Um you're gonna fuck with one the, at a time. Uh, don't please. fuck with the babysitter. <laughs> um so yeah, I've been watching some 
uh, some things um, on TV. Started the boys season two. The boys. Um, just been really enjoying that. Um, I was late to it for the first season, but got through it and just loved it. And second season, I think is definitely hitting the mark and doing some stuff. And yeah, I'm enjoying it. I haven't seen um, it, but from everyone I've heard that does watch it, they think that season two is like a big improvement that it's even better than the first season. Sure. I could even say that it's, it's sort of like they use season one to set up season two essentially mm-hmm. because they wanted to get to this part of the story as opposed to the other part of the story. So, and it's um, Netflix. So two seasons and it's probably over. <laughs> so that's how Netflix rolls. Well, Amazon prime. Yeah. Oh, it's true. a prime show. Okay. Yeah. Then it'll go like eight seasons. <laughs> it'll go five too many. Yeah. They'll start yeah, they're, putting they're out two a year. Complete opposites. Netflix is like just one or two, and then Amazon's like forever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when you have the Jeff Bezos uh, money, you just keep keep making them. Right. Um, and then on the uh, HBO side of things, Lovecraft Country, uh, phenomenal. Just, I mean, uh, it's like they took Watchmen and set it in a different, another different time period without superhero stuff, and made another amazing show. Um, and e- every episode is like a different genre. Which is great because it's just like you don't expect like it's not the same. You don't expect it. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they it's like they t- and they tell like one story at a time, but it's all connected. I haven't read the novel that it's based on, but it the show makes me want to read the novel because if the novel is anything like the show, I feel like it's a good read. Um, and I'm also learning a lot about history and uh, social injustice and just so much that I think people are not clued into. Uh, and I think that that's really it's a good way of of like being presented um, through like these shows that are like fictionalized, but like yet still very real to life, you know? Right. Um, kind of like what Star yeah. Trek did, where they would talk about modern problems through through the aliens. Dealing with the yeah. aliens was their <laughs> their way of talking about Russia or race relations or whatever it was that week. Yeah. Yeah, like the monsters, not only is the monster racism in the show, but then there's other <laughs> monsters that include these other parts of society yeah. that are also horrible. Capitalism. Um, yeah. <laughs> White supremacy. Oh, my God. That's a... Yeah, that's it's a even more blatant thing. in American Gods when, like, each <laughs> oh, yeah. of the gods is, like, some American excess that we worship. <laughs> yeah. I only watched the first season of that. I hadn't caught the previous two, uh, second and third, but... Um, but I also read the novel too. So that was, yeah, I think the novel still is better than the show. I read the novel way yeah. back when. Yeah. They, yeah, I think they're doing a good job with the show. I'm interested. It's decent. I'm interested to see. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I guess they made a, uh, an audio it's, it's an audio book on audible, but it's performed by a voice cast, kind of like a radio show. They made a uh, uh, adaptation of the Sandman on that, so another that's cool Neil Gaiman property that, and I, like I'm curious to know how they did that because the Sandman is so it, it, like without the visuals, it's it, it's going to be really interesting to see how they how they put that together because the visuals are such an important part of that series, but yeah. I like a lot of the adaptations that yeah they do for game and stuff. 
Um, and then on the movie side of things, uh, nothing really like, crazy to talk about, but I finally watched Peanut Butter Falcon. Everybody was talking about it. Had to watch it. Oh, yeah. Loved it. It was phenomenal. I thought it was really, really good. Definitely went in different directions than I think I thought. There was like a, little, a couple of little twists where you're like, oh, okay. You do? You still, yeah. Um, but I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't want to give anything away. People are still watching these things. Yeah. Um, and uh, Dr. Sleep, the director's cut. Which is over three hours long. <laughs> oh, is it Dale? Didn't you tell me to watch the director's cut? Uh, it must have been Aaron. Oh, okay. Aaron's was. the masochist Somebody... on that stuff. Yeah, um, I'm kind. <laughs> I love director's cut stuff as well, but I'm kind of curious to see the differences between the theatrical release and the director's cut because I enjoyed it. I really liked it. Um, oh, did you only see the director's cut? Yes, I've never seen the theatrical. Oh, <laughs> oh man. Okay. So I, I need to I need to watch both I think, um, but uh, yeah. Also, I have not seen The Shining all the way through. I've only seen clips. Whoa, so what? I'm all over the Whoa. place. Oh, well, see The Shining, the Kubrick Shining, <laughs> and Doctor Sleep aren't really so connected. Like, there's visuals that they bring back, right? But it, you know, famously, Stephen King didn't endorse the Kubrick movie because it's not very faithful. Kubrick kind of did his own thing with it. Um, There's a terrible Stephen King directed version of the shining. That's more close to the, the book narrative. Um, But I just went into Dr. Sleep having only seen the Kubrick movie. And um, I, I listened to the audio book and then was very late to watching the movie, but I thought the movie did a good job of, of condensing and adapting you know, a Stephen King book, which has a lot more story than, well, maybe not than the director's cut, but a lot more story than what they put in the theatrical cut. Yeah. Well, but does now, make, go oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say, uh, I, I read the original um, Shining book and loved it. And I like the movie, but I like the book better, I think, because of how it's different. But um, when Dr. Sleep, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Stephen King did approve of that, right? Like he was he was down with the new production of that for his next yeah. book. But uh, with Dr. Sleep, the hotel is intact, whereas at the end of The Shining book, it is not, right? It's sort Am of I a weird... That right? That's right. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a weird cocktail of all the things about Shining that you've heard of kind of mixed to make it work. So he was kind of tolerating the Kubrick stuff, which is also clipped in. I read Dr. Dr. Sleep Sleep, and I'm trying to remember. I don't remember them going back to the overlook and it being a whole hotel. No, it's just like hallowed ground. It's just like, yeah, that's what I Rose the hat goes there because she's more powerful there. Um, And, and, but the hotel is dead. The hotel is gone. gone. Just like it is in the original shining book. Yeah. So the, I mean, the overlook is in Dr. Sleep in flashbacks and in like Danny's nightmares, but not like they don't return to it at the end of this, at the end of the movie. Um, But there's like, there's a scene where like they're driving through all of those like spooky snowy mountains on their way to get back to it. And they basically they're Rose the hat thinks that she's got the upper hand because she's going to be more powerful there, but they're counting on her doing that 
to like trap okay. her up there. I wasn't sure if it was kind of like a Jurassic Park Lost World thing where Stephen King went back and when he, I haven't read Dr. Sleep, so I didn't know if he kind of changed that a little bit no. and then they adapted that more. No, okay. the Dr. Sleep book is a lot like the Dr. Sleep movie. Okay. Except for the hotel standing, I guess. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, and the the version that you said was directed by Stephen King. Is that the like the ABC movie of the night miniseries it's version? Like that Stephen came out, like, Weber, I think, is the yeah. lead in that. And Rebecca De Mornay plays his wife. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Stephen Weber yeah. plays the Jack Nicholson character in just the it. Stephen King. It had its moments. I, I, you know, Stephen King's big beef with the original Shining movie. I think probably everyone knows this, but it's it's because Jack. Torrance is portrayed as such a far gone crazy person as opposed to just a raging alcoholic that has problems. Mm -hmm. And because Stephen King identified himself with that problem and what he wrote into that character in the original book, it really kind of offended him that he basically he, they turned him into a psycho and therefore he didn't like the movie, but it's by it's, it's one of the best horror movies ever out there. So yeah, if you're going to argue with it, you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he that's all i got he proved he could not make a better movie than stanley kubrick so basically there you go <laughs> josh how about you um well i i also started lovecraft country um i'm gonna be the heretic and i liked Watchmen much more than lovecraft country um we i thought it Okay. Yeah, I I so thought far. it was I thought it was going to be much more prestige sort of or slow boiling somehow and it just gets batshit crazy in the second episode and uh a snake penis is in there and I was just like uh <laughs> I don't know. This is not what I signed up for really, but um <laughs> I, I don't know. It seems I'm going to give it a friend of mine says episode 3 is really great, so I'm going to try that out. Um but if that one doesn't get me I'm out. Um, and then the boys I have been watching also and really enjoyed speaking of Elizabeth shoe, speaking of babysit adventures and babysitting. Um, but, uh, I watched, um, I, I got movie, the yeah. streaming service. Yeah. And watched a movie called obit, uh, about the New York times obituary writers. Um, yeah. yeah. We watched that, didn't we? Yeah. I think we talked about it on the show. A while yeah. Back. Okay. Months yeah. Ago. I really yeah. like that. Yeah. It, what did you was, think? I loved it. I thought it was great. Mm -hmm. um, I did too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I watched another one called Joint Security Area. Um, <laughs> it's a. Um, is it about the Korean border? It is. Uh, Park Chan Woo directed it, um, who did uh, Old Boy and um, some of those other, like Sympathy for Lady Vengeance and stuff. Um, Re it's really good. I'm sorry. He did real old boy, not Spike Lee's disaster. Right. <laughs> right. He did the original. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's set up like a murder mystery, but it's way more than that. And I would highly recommend it. So, um, yeah, that's all I've been watching. I have been actually to the joint security area and it's creepy enough without it even being a murder scene. It's it's pretty creepy. So I could see how that would be great for a for a movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I thought you were going to tell me it's where like they grow medical marijuana. That was the joint Maybe. security area. On, could be on the North Korean side, you know. <laughs> oh, they grow much stronger stuff up there. <laughs> but not strong people. No. 
<laughs> People live to the ripe old age of 35. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess that leaves us. Um, I started watching this last week. A lot of stuff, it's so funny. A lot of us are on the same page. We just started watching The Boys. We've been watching Lovecraft Country. We just watched Class Action Park. So a lot of ditto to, to things you guys have been talking about. Um, I started watching a, a limited series on HBO that I hadn't watched the first time around, which was years ago now, which was From the Earth to the Moon. Um, I'd kind of been wanting to watch it for a long time. Uh, I started watching it and went, oh, like this really isn't what I expected. I think I thought it was going to be more of a doc instead of a reenactment. And although it's got some great actors in it, I'm eh, I'm kind of trudging through it. Like I'm kind of like now, like I'm just going to get it done. Mm-hmm. Let's just watch it. But I'm I'm not loving it. Uh, it's got your favorite narrator, Dale Tom Hanks, um, who is that narrator? I gotta say that's one of the highlights. That's one of the highlights. This is a little narration at the beginning. Okay. But um, for all its star power, I would rather just see a doc of the stuff that is the space race all through the 60s, yeah. I think, than, than all the reenactments of stuff. So I was kind of all hyped about it for years. I was like, oh, I've never seen that. I got to watch it. Got to watch it. And it had been off HBO for a long time. And it came back here this, I guess, a few months ago. And I was like, I've got to check it out. And I, yeah, I mean, I just finished season, I shouldn't say season, episode five. I don't know how many left I have. I'll probably be multitasking while I'm watching them just to get through it, but it's okay. Um, I can't rave about it for sure. Uh, we did watch also this week Kill Bill Volumes 1 and 2 again. Mm-hmm. Always a favorite. I remember Zach was talking about watching it with his wife. I was thinking about that when we were watching it with the animation part and everything. Um, yeah, I mean, it's one of those Tarantinos that I think I like more and more when I see it i just you know it's it's up there traditionally i've always liked pulp fiction the most but i think that's one that the more i see it you know as a whole you know i go back and forth in my head do i like part one better part two better but um, uh, there's no I question just love it. for me which is which part part two is the best part well that's where i lean to usually but i'll watch part one before i watch part yeah. two again and i'm like oh part one it's pretty good part, maybe part one and then i watch part two and i always go back to part two so. i i like part one but i feel i always feel like part two is your reward for watching part one and yeah. i always also tell people um you mentioned the animated sequence i said if you can white knuckle your way through the animated sequence you can finish the movies because that's the hardest At the beginning, thing to watch yeah i think it just goes on too long like at the beginning of it i think it's cool and i'm in and i like it and i think it's an interesting thing to put there but then i feel like it's just a couple minutes too long and you're like okay let's wrap well this up. when you're watching the movie for the first time and i had friends that i had a friend who generally likes quentin tarantino movies and it made him uh, so uncomfortable that he left during the animation oh, yeah. sequence. I think w- what happens when you watch it the first time is you know that anything goes with the Tarantino movie, um, uh-huh. especially if you're watching it for some reason after you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that you just don't know how much, like it's gone so far at this point and we're only like right. half an hour in, like how far is this going to go? Well, some of that, I don't think it bothers me quite as much. Now, some of that might be that in the past I've sponsored Asian Culture Club and Anime Club, and they're all about it. Uh, and it's stuff that graphic that we're watching oh, yeah. sometimes after school. And I'm like, what are we watching? But 
like that kind of stuff i think it that the gore of it doesn't bother me right. as much as just that it goes on a little long for me okay i hadn't seen two nearly as many times as i had seen one so it was almost like a refresher for me so like i had completely forgotten about the old man training sequence pi may pi may i'd completely lost on that one i was like oh yeah yeah <laughs> so well, and I, I love the scene. I can't remember the actor's name. I'll think of it here in a minute. The guy who plays the sheriff who finds the murderers investigated at the beginning, the bride with the bridal party, and then he plays Esteban yeah. in part two. And I love Mike something, if I remember Michael right. Parks. That's it. Oh, yeah. my God. That scene with him is Esteban. Like, I vocalize after it how much I enjoy that scene. Like, that, I just love it. He's so good. Yeah, he makes uh, two... Not so great Kevin Smith movies, great. Michael oh, Parks. Yeah. Because he's the he's the that. villain in Tusk and he's the mm-hmm. villain in Red State. And they're both amazing performances. Yeah, I've seen Red State. I haven't seen Tusk, so I'll have to check that oh, out. Oh yeah. Tusk <laughs> Maybe Tusk Josh? is a mo- I, <laughs> I would I, I would recommend Tusk. Um but I think like it's worth listening to um, there's an episode of Kevin Smith's podcast called the walrus and the carpenter. And that was the, that in that episode is where they have the idea to make the movie. And so their conversation about what they're trying to do and like the seed of that idea, it's really interesting to hear that and then watch how it came out. Um, because they ended that podcast by putting up a Twitter poll and saying, you know, should we make this movie? And then hashtag hmm. walrus yes or hashtag walrus no. And they said they only got one walrus no. And the guy said, I was just doing this to make sure that walrus no is actually an option. I, I actually want to see it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how Tusk got made. It's very strange, but uh but Michael Parks is fantastic in it. Um, real quick, if you like his character in Kill Bill, um, he pops up in From Dust Till Dawn, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize oh, it yeah? until after I saw Kill Bill. Yeah, well, I uh, need to go back and watch it. So same character, and in Planet Terror also. But uh, so okay, it's been so long since I've seen those two. I'll have to check it out. Has anybody watched the TV show for From Dust Till Dawn? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I got about seven episodes into it and thought it was all right, but I wasn't wild about it. It was not all right. That, that show is bad. <laughs> so bad. Is it just vampires? Is it like True Blood? What's, uh, what's the premise? It, it's the same storyline as From Dust Till Dawn. They just elongate it. So, like, the first season is kind of them on the run and but they get into more hijinks and wacky stuff before they get to the the vampire place and then the whole the whole shift happens um Don Johnson was in it I believe as like Oh really? one of the sheriffs. Yeah. 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 Um yeah, I watched it and then I started hate watching it cuz there was a guy online that I that I was watching review the episodes and talking about how stupid it all was. So I think I think I've seen 
at least one of the sequels to the original, but I didn't see the TV show. But I know I've definitely seen some of the sequels. Yeah. And they get worse and worse oh, yeah. and worse. <laughs> so uh, I watched, uh, I've been kind of working my way through like a bunch of classic movies that I've never seen before. So the one I watched in the last couple of weeks was actually Modern Times by Charlie Chaplin, uh, which I really enjoyed. It's just turned 100, um, so right? It's, it might have, yeah, might have. I don't know. That was one of his Charlie very, Parker very last. It was, so that one is important in the pantheon in that it's the last "quote unquote" silent movie he did. It's not really silent because they did sound for it and everything, but his character was still that same character. So he sings in the end, and um, but it's like in French, so it's kind of really appropriate. Uh, <laughs> I I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, but we, we've had two weeks since the last time we recorded, so I've actually had time to jam through two complete HBO series. Uh, one was, well, I say complete. I, I think they're probably going to do a second season of Plot Against America, which I really enjoyed, but I honestly could have left Winona Ryder and uh, John Turturro somewhere else. I think <laughs> the rest of the story was really In good. In Stranger Things and uh, the Transformers movies. <laughs> yeah, oh. somewhere else. Yeah, I, I you know, I, I, I want to love Winona Ryder, but sometimes she just, she just plays herself, and I'm sometimes I'm a good one for her. <laughs> <laughs> I like her in other things. I mean, sometimes they cast her well; it's great. A Beetlejuice, sure. Uh, <laughs> I, I can name, I can name more than Beetlejuice, but the, anyways, so we can pick on that all we want. But I mean, if you haven't seen it, it's basically a a a fake history of what if Charles Lindbergh, who kind of famously went against the grain. Of, yeah. It was like if Lindbergh uh, world became, war two and uh, kind of basically became like a ran populist. for president against Roosevelt. Yeah. And uh, you don't really see that so much. I mean, Charles Lindbergh is in it just a tiny bit more as like a news story as it's going. It's mostly about these uh, Jewish families that are kind of dealing with it. And so John Turturro's character is kind of more of a sympathizer and uh, the family that's in it is more of like just trying to deal with, you know, what if Nazism basically came through America. So, yeah, uh, I think they'll do another season. I think it's worth watching. Um, I like I said, I kind of wish I could have fast forward through those parts, but I think they were integral to the story, unfortunately. But so I'd give it about a C plus B minus somewhere in there. The other show I watched, though, was. Um, I may destroy you. Uh-huh. I don't know if I'm the only person that's watched that. No, but Brooke has been uh, watching it. Um, it's Michaela, if I'm saying her name right, Michaela Cole, uh, who did Chewing Gum, which is also a very, very excellent program. Um, I think it might be on Netflix, but I'm not sure. But it's totally worth jamming through if you haven't had a chance. Um, and I would say the same comment about both of these two shows in that if you're not up for uh, your very deep um, English uh, inflections, uh, British inflections. It's a really hard show to follow just because it's hard to understand what they're saying. Um, but if you're you're kind of wise to that enough that you can kind of get through it, it's worth it. HBO has captions. That's right. Turn well, on the subtitles, I, I guess. Yeah, you know, if it's English and I can try to understand it, I'd try to just understand it because the ca- captions tend to distract me from what's going on on the screen sometimes. So, But I May Destroy You is really well written. It's a very completely different tone than her other show chewing gum which was very silly most of the time 
uh, whereas this is a lot more serious. She's still a pretty silly character in that she's um, a little bonkers, um, but it's a much more serious topic. Um, she basically gets uh, a blackout drunk one night where she got roofied, and uh, she doesn't really remember what happened, but she was with a friend and she got raped. And so the series basically is her kind of going through all the stages of grief and, and dealing with what that meant to her, what that happened to her. And uh, there's a lot of other things that happened. The, the supporting cast is really excellent. Um, I, I totally recommend that one. And it's not a very long show, so you could totally jam it out in a couple of days. Yeah, I think it came up because uh, Brooke watched at least the beginning of it and hadn't really formed an opinion on it, but she thought it was okay so far. Um, I think it came up when we were talking about Dr. Foster, uh, which I watched um, like a month ago, which is about a woman who thinks her husband is cheating on her, and then it goes completely bananas. Uh, And there's two seasons of that out there. Um. Bananas Foster, you would say? Uh, exactly. <laughs> oh, somebody, boy. somebody nailed it. That was a good one. Somebody got it for me there. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I, I'm not afraid to turn on uh, on subtitles, um, especially for like when people are mumbly or if you're watching something like Snatch or I don't know, you can't ex- understand anything that's going on otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so um we watched a movie it was called clute uh alicia suggested it i think it was the first time for everybody else is that true i'd seen it. oh josh had seen it okay so um nathan i want to start with you what did you think of clute oh god <laughs> um you know it's definitely on its time uh you know of its time it's I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the watch. Um, Donald Sutherland was kind of interesting, but for the most part, he was pretty stony faced through the whole thing. Um, Jane Fonda was a lot fun, a lot more fun to watch in it um, just because she had a lot more range in what she was doing and how she was having to act. Um, You know, it had kind of like some nice, like Hitchcockian type things going on and it was was that kind of a a movie where it was a lot of darkness a lot of like what's going to be around the next corner and who's going to do what but I mean for the most part I pretty much picked who was going to be the bad guy at the end real early on I'm not sure that matters in a lot of cases like sometimes that's not you know the so called twist really doesn't necessarily have to like surprise you to be worth watching still the Um, movie certainly doesn't make much of it like they just sort of reveal it and there's not like a big, you know, musical sting or anything that happens when that. Right. I mean, but there's only so many characters in this thing. It's it's fairly right. <laughs> clear where it's probably going. Um, I, I think the main reason to watch this, honestly, was for uh, Jane Fonda's performance, which I thought was serviceable, if not a little better than that. And uh, if you just want to get a little bit of like 70s nostalgia in general, like I think a lot of these movies, it's more of the time capsule that's interesting than the movie itself. And this might have been kind of one of those. So you just said that so. her performance as a prostitute was serviceable. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to point that well, out real quick. That is fantastic. Uh, you notice I did not rate it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, Zach, how about you? Yeah, I kind of have similar sentiments as Nathan. Um, I very much appreciated it for at least what I kept going back to was the influences that I think that it laid upon a lot of other films that came after it. Um, not just necessarily in that same genre, but in other genres, I felt like there was a lot of like Blade Runner. Um, so that kind of kept popping up to me. And then like Halloween kept popping up to me. Um, yeah, just a lot of like other films that I was like, Oh, it seems like they stole this shot from this movie or this type of score from this movie or whatever the thing may be. Um, I uh, I looked up some of the trivia because I was curious, uh, especially because I saw the guy when the guy popped up. What's his name from Jaws? Um, Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider. Oh, Roy Scheider. Yeah, and I was like, oh, did he do this after <laughs> Jaws? Why would he do this after Jaws? He didn't. Oh, um, Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider is in a lot of shit. Yeah, he said no to nothing. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was fun. I was like, all right. So that got me curious about a lot of like the trivia and the history of it. Um, and, uh, yeah, the performance by Jane Fonda, I thought was, it was well done, uh, in terms of, I've not, I actually don't know if I've seen much that she's done. And I think that I know she's obviously a legend, but, um, I was never really exposed to a lot of her as a child. And that was also intended for <laughs> her services. Um, you didn't watch a lot of Clute as a kid. I didn't I watch a lot why. of Clute. Yeah. Your, your mom didn't uh, do the Jane Fonda workout. Oh, that's true. <laughs> no, she, Mine she did. did one of the, yeah, no, she did somebody else's workout, but it wasn't, maybe it was Susan Summers or something like that. Right. Suzanne Summers. Oh. Yeah. Um, thigh master. She had the thigh, thigh master. master. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She was more on that train. Um, <laughs> So <laughs> different moms, I, uh, different bodies. Yeah, it's a shake weight of the '80s, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I that's that's right. I totally forgot that Jane Fonda had the whole workout video thing. Um, see, so yeah, but I, I liked, I did appreciate her performance and like what she went through to do the performance. There's a lot of really interesting trivia behind the whole film itself. Um, if you go to the IMDb and look at some of those things, I thought that there was, uh, you know, like her her integrating herself with. Um, prostitutes and pimps and then like she couldn't get a pimp to represent her so she didn't think she was desirable enough to be in yeah. uh, the role so she wanted to be cast uh, or recast or something like that Somebody she wanted Faye Dunaway to take the part from her oh yeah Faye Dunaway yeah and then I guess uh, was it Streisand uh, Barbara Streisand Barbara was Streisand to be originally? was originally approached <laughs> for imagine? it and she said no I can't. Uh, it's just like sometimes when you know the <laughs> the history behind the film and then you reimagine it a little bit, you're like, what in the fuck? <laughs> she um, would have been so bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like my general sentiment was that like, uh, I'm glad that I watched it because it's on the top 1000 list of movies to watch before you die. And I always appreciate stuff like that where it's like, great. I was exposed to it. I'm glad. I see its influence in the rest of the industry moving forward in the seventies and eighties. Um, and, uh, and then knowing a little bit of the history and getting some exposure to Jane Fonda. So, um, yeah, it was, it was right on, <laughs> it was right another, on the level. Another for prostitution me. reference there. Yeah. yeah. So My turn, Josh, what's yours? No, Josh be? has seen it. <laughs> Josh has seen it. Yeah. So it's me. I'm next. Oh, okay. Uh, cause I hadn't seen it. Um, I uh, I tried. I tried with this movie. I did not like it at all. Um, it's super boring, super slow. 
uh, Donald Sutherland's character is just there. He's like just this stoic, hard-nosed, you know, detective. And I wonder, I wonder if uh, the movie is named after his character to throw you off the scent of what the interesting part of the movie is going to be because it certainly isn't him and his character. Um, it was, I was about halfway through it before I started like looking up trivia or, you know, trying to see what else was going on with this movie, like um, why people rated it so highly. And then I saw that she won best actress for it. And I was like, the fuck? And so yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of watched it from that perspective and I thought, well, up until the point that I was at that point in the movie, I was like, well, people were probably thought it was a really brave performance because she plays a prostitute pretty straight and like doesn't candy coat what she's doing or, you know, she talks openly about, you know, giving guys a 50 50 and, that sort of stuff. And she's really kind of crude with Donald Sutherland and then they have sex for no reason. Um, that scene just sort of happens. So she can say, so there, I mean, that's basically the reason, right? Are are, are you unhappy because you didn't make me come? John's don't make (laughs) me come. Um, (laughs) the, the scene that I think locked her in for best actress was, uh, at the end when she's listening to the tape and she's crying, which apparently she didn't intend to do. She was going to act scared while she listened to it. And she just had like a physiological response instead and cried. And so that's what's in the movie. Um, Why am I in this? Why am I in this? But then I looked at, then I looked at like who the other best actress nominees were that year and um, she she lucked out. She was in a year of of shitty best actress performances. Oh, who was it? Uh, she was up again. Okay, so here are the movies. I'm not going to tell you the actresses, but here are the movies that these are from. Uh, just just as well known as Clute, uh, <laughs> for all of you cinephiles, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Sunday oh. Bloody Sunday. Mary Queen of Scots, which was probably her, her closest uh, competition Rival. from Vanessa Redgrave, and then uh, Nicholas and Alexandra. Um, yeah, I've seen all those. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I watched them ex- right immediately after Clute because I was like, man, if Clute's this good, they've they've got to be a bunch of them. But so. That year's Academy Awards were swept by the French Connection. It won Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Actor for Gene Hackman. Um, it was also the year of Fiddler on the Roof and The Last Picture Show, which make up all of the other nominations. Donald Sutherland is not nominated. Um, you know, uh, I think the screenplay <laughs> got a nomination. Yeah, the screenplay got a nomination, but it it lost to a movie called the hospital eh. oh yeah that's Phenomenal. got george c scott um it's george c scott 
Yeah, George C. Scott, uh, which he's... Uh, he's George C. He Scott. was nominated that's, for that's Best Actor and beaten by Gene Hackman for The French Connection because that was... It was French Connection year, and they just right. had the fix in. So, I mean, having gone through all of that trivia and stuff, like, by the end of the movie, it's like, the only... The only interesting character in the movie is Brie, Jane Fonda's character, and she's not that interesting. She's just the most interesting in this particular movie, this particular <laughs> story. Uh, I watched it. We, we, you know, to uh, show how the sausage is made a little bit, we were going to record this episode a week ago. And that's when I watched the movie and I was going to like, usually when I do these, I rewatch the movie again. If we end up taking a week in between to refresh myself on it. And I just, I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't, <laughs> couldn't watch through it again. It's like, I got it. I understand. I, I know where I stand on this movie. Um, you know, Roy Scheider shows up as sort of a red herring. I think, I think he's supposed to be the guy that, if there's any sort of a mystery about who the killer is, maybe it's him. He's like the only other kind of like threatening force in the movie. Um, and Jane Fonda's character is just like totally fine with him. And, and then Donald Sutherland gets into a fight with him and that's how she almost gets killed herself because they're busy fighting each other and she runs away. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I will not, I will not be recommending this one. Josh, what did you think of Clute? So, um, I watched it back in my video store days. Um, and I watched it must've been late at night because a lot of it was lost to me. Um, I remembered a few things, but, um, I, I, Again, the well, when Nathan was saying the the killer being so obvious, I didn't know if that was because I remembered it or if it was just that he was one of the four characters in the movie. <laughs> right. um, but, man, that dude was nimble, though. I mean, for a middle-aged white dude, he was just parkouring uh, all over that empty building. Uh, I was really impressed by that. Um, yeah, I, I like... 70s movies like this usually um and i did i like this one probably it sounds like a little bit more um than most i guess um the uh yeah, sutherland uh i know he's a good actor so i know he can emote uh so i know like holding back uh was an interesting choice for him uh not maybe not for the audience but for him um and i that it scene where she sleeps with him i think that's the that's the 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 good part of that choice is right. that it brings her character forward. Exactly. And that scene where she sleeps with him, I thought for sure she was going to steal the tapes and like burn them uh, or do something to get it out from under his sway. Or just stab but, him um, in the head. Something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I kept waiting for like a twist in that, like that she was more, um, you know, more street smart than him and uh, savvy. But, um, yeah, in general, I like the mystery. I thought that recording thing at the end went on a little bit too long. Um, 
was a little masochistic or sadistic, I guess. Um, well, depending on which way you want to look at it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, I liked it. I don't know if I'm going to be in a, you know, mood to watch it again anytime soon, but, uh, <laughs> twice, twice was fine. You, you mentioned the whole, uh, you know, <laughs> the four characters in the, in the movie and the, in this murder mystery. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of, of, uh, in throw mama from the train when, Danny DeVito is asking Billy Crystal what he thought of his story. And he's like, to be honest, I didn't like it. He's like, well, what didn't you like about it? I'll, I'll change it. What did you like about it? It's like, it's a murder mystery with two characters. And one of them is dead <laughs> on page one. And he's like, yeah, the guy in the hat killed the other guy in the hat. <laughs> story was called Murder at My Friend Larry's. Right. <laughs> so, um, Alicia, what the hell? Hey, uh, yeah, I wasn't crazy about it myself. There were things I liked. It had been a really long time since I had seen it. <laughs> Dale, are you okay? Sorry, I almost okay. I almost sprayed soda all over my computer. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> what? Well, okay. Or you, Zach, and you just pick a movie at random you haven't seen. (laughs) Or that. Oh, my God. Well, so I was kind of wanting to watch some kind of like early 70s Donald Sutherland stuff, okay? I was thinking that, or I was thinking Don't Look Now, both of which I had seen 20, 25 years ago. But uh, I thought, well, let's go with Clute. Let's try it, because we had just seen it on on a shelf in a store somewhere, and I was like, oh, well, let's check that out. Um, I remember as a kid growing up, my parents loved those 70s movies that were very, I think they call them like the conspiracy films where they're very dark and everything's very quiet and it's all about the lighting. And I remember as a kid, I could not sit through them. I didn't know what was happening. I didn't care. I was done. And later, of course, I would watch some of them and be like, oh, all the president's men good movie oh my god wait a minute the conversation love it like so i started watching those and really liking them yeah. and so it had been so long since i'd seen clute i was like well that might be like those others maybe it's it's that same kind of thing it's the mood it's the the kind of eerie stuff it's the suspicion Let's check it out. I'm sure it'll be great. Well, okay, so it wasn't super great. It still had great stuff. It had great, hey, wrought iron elevators once again. Great. <laughs> oh um, I, I liked the lighting a ton. And in fact, I'm sure you guys saw because you were looking at trivia too like I was, but they were talking about how long it took to do the lighting for it to get it just right. So I'm reading that, and then I'm reading other places about how, of course, Donald Sutherland and Jane Fonda are in some torrid affair at the time. And how they were like making love for two hours before and making love three hours after a scene. So I'm sure that's yeah, what they were doing was, when they were getting the lighting just right. He was her date to the Academy Awards when she won. Yes. And he goes on and on still today about her magnificent breasts. Apparently they were unbelievable. So um, I don't yeah, believe so, you. Well, <laughs> no, <I'm>, we <laughs> all kind of saw them for ourselves. No, just the so unbelievable part. It's not They're unbelievable. Well, I don't believe these. Well, when the moonlight hits them, so he said, they are spectacular. So <laughs> I can't personally speak to that, but that's what he said. But he said it in a really uh, boring, monotone voice. He probably <laughs> did. But you know, Donald Sutherland, I always loved Donald Sutherland. Even in bad movies, I'm like, 
but that damn Donald Sutherland is has just hypnotized me. Like I'll I'll watch Backdraft just to watch Donald Sutherland yeah. stuff like that. What's the horror movie where uh, he like points at the end of it? Like that's the climax of the movie. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I was going to say Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He gets invaded at the end and he's just like. Well, and I love MASH. I love Robert Altman's MASH. He's a very different character there, obviously, than he is here because he is just kind of like a two by four walking around. (laughs) Um, But, you know, there was stuff I liked. I really liked how they kind of set the mood for things. I agree the plot is not going a whole lot of places. Some of the most interesting things are Bree's sessions with the psychiatrist, which I thought was kind of interesting. Um, Let's talk about I, I, those. Okay. Um, so uh, those were so odd. And yeah. I tried, I, I couldn't figure it out watching it, but I looked into that. And all of Jane Fonda's lines during those sessions were improvised to the point where there's actually a section where she just like describes her character's motivation. (laughs) Like in the middle of the movie, she's just like, these are the things I want. And this is why I think I'm attracted to this guy. And I think this could work out if I just did this, this and this. Um, But the other part of it that makes it weird Um, from a technical level that I found out was that uh, when they shot it because it was improvised and it wasn't so there and they didn't they weren't writing down what she said so when they were getting when they were shooting the reactions from the psychiatrist she was reacting to nothing and you can tell she's just sitting there blank like nothing's being said and the director said that he wishes he had set up two cameras because the psychiatrist reactions to what the improvising was, was much better and more interesting than the cutaways that they were using. It looked like they, they used the same shot of her every time they went to her, where she was just like, right. Well, it doesn't seem like she's really interacting with her at all. She's just kind of, it's just a, you know, a monologue. I just kept thinking she was making all these like torrid confessions to someone who basically reminded me of one of the nannies that couldn't handle Jane and Michael Banks before uh, Mary <laughs> Poppins showed up. <laughs> she was like, yeah, I felt like the therapist was really this the, is now the standard of what you see for all therapists in every television show or movie where they cut to the therapist and they're just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like that. Now that's the, the trope, you know? This is where it started. Well, and I was kind of puzzled when I was kind of looking through the trivia. They talk about, you know, Jane's reaction after she wins the Oscar and her, you know, her famous speech that's very abbreviated. But the fact that I guess after receiving the award, I'm sure with the press backstage, she basically says, you know, I don't like that the message of this movie is that if you you get the right guy and uh, there was something else, if you get something else to happen, then... Therapy. If, if you if get you the get right therapy, guy and you get therapy. Then everything's yeah. going to be fine. Everything's going to be all right. And so I was kind of... And I, I understand what she's saying there, but at the same time, since she's such a big part in this movie and she's allowed to ad-lib these things and have a lot of contributions to stuff, I was kind of surprised that she that, that would end up being... I don't know if it she felt like it wasn't what she wanted it to be after final cuts and editing or whatever but that kind of surprised me how strongly she felt about that i think what happened there was that um she had 
she'd asked her father for advice on her Oscar speech. And he was the one for that part. Yes. And he said, Mm -hmm. uh, he said, say thanks and go away. He said, leave it at that. And and he actually came up with the line, um, the famous line that she says, which is, uh, there's so much to say, and I'm not going to say it tonight. Thank you all for, you know, giving this to me kind of thing. Which I assume was more of a political situation with that, with all of her uh, political activism. Yeah, but also like, I think I think that's why she felt the need to like comment in more detail about the movie itself right after that, because she didn't use her time on stage to say, you know, I don't endorse this movie's outlook or this movie's statement. Mm-hmm. Um, for being what it is, so. I guess I was just a little surprised she felt that strongly with what seemed to be a pretty major role of of some control in what was happening, and supposedly uh, the director is kind of an actor's director and things like that, but maybe that's, maybe that's the thing. Actor's director, maybe not actress director, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that she was like... Uh, like campaigning against the film. Like, I don't think it was that strongly mm-hmm. held of a conviction. I think it was more of a, you know, this movie doesn't have the best message, but you know, I, so I was in it. Something so. I, yeah, I, I actually thought she was going to die. I thought that the guy was going to kill her and then Clute would show up and he'd kill him. And then Clute would mourn over the loss of her and then have to go back to Pennsylvania so I'm like, why did it have to have a happy ending? Like, I just didn't. So they could make. I was like, I think it, to the clutening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I was like, man, I just feel like it was a missed opportunity. Like, I get it. You don't want to kill your main character, but like, I don't know. It feels more appropriate in the story. I agree, yeah. and I feel like that that ending scene was just an interminable scene. It's like just walk out of the goddamn apartment and roll the credits. Like they kept turning yeah. around and stopping and doing something else. Um, oh, I thought you were commenting on how he jumps out the damn window. <laughs> that, well, that that was bananas. <laughs> what kind Just of climax like, is it was, that shit? I, it was kind of Roger Rabbit. I felt like it was Roger yeah. Rabbit going through the blinds. Yeah, apparently I mean, they just add the uh, you know the scream, you know the. The Wilhelm no, scream. The Wilhelm, Wilhelm yeah. scream. Yeah, it's a shame that we're done. That uh, New York only uses sugar glass above the thirtieth floor of buildings yeah. like that. Wow! Because he just defenestrated I, right through that. I also want to make a comment on how much semen was in those underwear. Oh my god! <laughs> um, you know, I, I don't like, know. So gross. I don't know if did did everyone pick up on that when she picked up the underwear. Yeah, I, I didn't, and I don't know if it was oh. that I was. I mean, I was watching it on a like sixty-five inch TV, <laughs> but she picked him up, and she was just like, "Ew!" And I was like, "What? Did some other woman leave her underwear here? Like, what are you complaining about?" And then only later, it's, I, I didn't really see it. I just assumed that's what had happened. Oh, they were soaked. They were soaked in <laughs> semen. Oh, they were boy. like dripping wet. Oh. <laughs> And it looked like like there might be some blood in it, too, which made me, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Uh. Well, that's how they got the DNA sample, right? Because he's like, well, they ran the DNA or whatever. It's like, was there blood in there? How do you? I don't. Uh, I think they could get blood, uh, the blood type from semen in in that time period. 
I didn't watch the hospital, so they, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have DNA, but I think they could they could match blood typing to to semen. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's some fun moments. I mean, they sorry really guys, they went all out. <laughs> did you say sorry? <laughs> I did say sorry. Oh, I mean, we should have gone for "Don't Look Now," but that's all right. Well, I, I looked up the list of the conspiracy movies, and um, just to mention ones that I've like heard of before and know are probably good are uh, Chinatown, oh, yeah. uh, Three Days of the Condor, uh, Good Guys Wear Black, Twilight's Last Gleaming, and uh, All the President's Men, and that blowout was sort of considered part of that but that it came out in 1981 so it's not technically well, supposedly a this was they kind of call this a bit of a trilogy for pakula the director i think and they yeah i'd seen somewhere he i haven't seen the other one he did of the three which is parallax view i have i don't know if any of you guys have seen that one nope warren Beatty. i don't know that's in this list too um Warner Brothers wanted to fire Pakula and Jane Fonda before the movie started, and they didn't get to do either, so they couldn't. I, I guess they had a really hard time getting people to do this movie. So, which maybe tells you something about the yeah, script. like well, and <laughs> the the whole like we talked about Jane Fonda doing the whole method hanging out with hookers thing, and when none of the pimps like wanted to represent her. She thought she wasn't pretty enough for the role and told them they should hire her friend Faye Dunaway instead. They Well, they had not talked to Donald Sutherland, obviously, about her breasts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, no, like, Jane Fonda as a, as a New York prostitute? Like, no, that's, that, that's about right. Like, that's a, that, that's a, that's a high-end prostitute in New York. You know, and she's always dressed really professionally and nice and like she never has that streetwalker vibe. She's definitely like a high end call girl working for Roy Scheider and not just like, you know, the streetwalker type. Um, I, I, w- I will say one of my favorite scenes was the audition piece that she does in the middle of the movie where you're just like, <laughs> did she just change accents or? What's she did like an I, Irish I, accent? Like I, I forgot Acting. that she was also an actor, and she was like a model and an actor and going out for roles and stuff. And I was just like, out of nowhere, she's also she's doing this this like I'm like, did the movie just change on me or what? She happened? goes to like well, two auditions, and yeah, in in the one they just basically shoot her down. And they're like, interesting accent. We'll call you if we want you. And the other one is like the old man starts to kind of get gropey with her. And you feel like, oh, she might actually get this part. And then somebody else walks in and he stops and he's like, thank you. That's all we need right now. Well, that's something I really liked, actually, the beginning of the movie. I thought it had a lot of potential because I liked kind of how they started it with the family dinner. And then I liked that. I don't remember if it's the very first shot of her, but where she's at the audition for cosmetics or whatever it is. And they've just got that wide shot and they're going down the line of models and they're picking on each one about what's wrong with them. Thought that was great. That was an amazing that scene. That was a great scene. That was a that was a really well shot scene. That felt like So I thought it had a lot of potential at the beginning. Yeah, it felt like something like Kubrick would do or something. Where you're just this mm-hmm. long dolly shot of all these faces and you see each one like 
individually become disappointed as they're passed over. Yes. Yeah, it was really well done. Like, and then they all shuffle out, and then a new group shuffles in. <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's really well, good. Like, they like go past the one woman, and the guy just sort of like leans to the assistant is like, too tall. And you see her just kind of deflate, <laughs> like, damn it. Yeah. Like, they can't hear yeah. it. <laughs> right. So, but yeah. yeah. Um, anyone good watch good uh, times with the, clue. the Newsroom? <laughs> the TV show, The Newsroom? Mm-hmm. With Jeff Daniels? Yeah. Um, that mm-hmm. may be the only like recurring Jane Fonda thing I ever watched. Oh, really? She was the head of the network on the newsroom. She sort of played you Ted guys, Turner. You haven't seen Barbarella. You I've haven't seen. seen okay, you haven't seen a lot like uh, Coming Home or my dad's personal favorite, The Electric Horseman. I have seen the Jane Fonda workout because my mom did well, yes. have it. Um, All right, and that was that was something of a of a Donald Sutherland like experience for me um, watching that. Fair so. enough. I, I had to look at her whole list and by far and away, the most thing I've, I've watched her in was cat blue. I've seen that probably. Oh yeah. I've seen that 20, 20 times. Nine to maybe. five. You probably seen nine to five. Oh, nine to, nine to five, but cat blue. No? Just randomly. My dad is probably the world's biggest fan of Nat King Cole. And so I oh. watched Cat Baloo probably once a year growing up. Gotcha. Okay. We found it. So. Yeah. Who does she does she play Cat Baloo? It's yeah. been a long time since oh, I've yeah. seen it, but yeah. I That's a great movie. Yeah. She's young. Yeah, that's from like and, the sixties. My dad has historically called my sister every year on her birthday and sung over the candles like uh, he does at the funeral. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. And my sister rolls her eyes every time. My dad has a whole album of like singers from the 40s that have re- like pre-recorded like happy anniversary, happy birthday songs and all of that kind of stuff. Oh. And so I never know which one it's going to be, but my phone will ring on my birthday with my dad's number. And something like, hi, we're the four freshmen, and we just want to say, <laughs> happy birthday to you. That's great. So. I'll give him my number. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's a Catholic priest now. It might be weird to do oh. that, but. Uh, <laughs> so we're safe, right? Uh, it, yeah. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't move very fast anymore, so. Um, <laughs> you want my 66 year old father's number for your birthday I'm I'm sure he'll be happy to get, call you and give you a nice blessing at the end of it too so oh good um, well that was Clute uh, it's my turn to suggest a movie and the movie I have selected is called Nightcrawler uh, it's from 2014 it stars Jake Gyllenhaal uh, Aaron's not here to attest to it, but he and I saw it uh, opening night in the theaters, and we both loved it. It's one of my favorite movies from that year. Um, I I think I pulled everybody uh, beforehand, and people had either not finished it but wanted to, or hadn't seen it yet but wanted to. So, but thanks everybody for the discussion. Thanks everybody at home for listening and watching with us. We'll see you on the next Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast.